Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 103rd episode in a weekly series called Wadget Eye. Here with me is Dave Gilbert, who is the founder of Wadget Eye Games. Our last episode was an interview with William Stullwood, BJ, who is the co-founder of Cypher Prime. Today is Thursday, October 17th, and I had the privilege of attending New York Comic Con a week ago, and this is one of the interviews that I was able to um, to do during the con. So you're going to hear in the background some noises and some general roar of the crowd kind of things while I'm interviewing David, and hopefully you can ignore that. I think the quality is fairly good. And I think uh, it was very interesting. I got a chance to interview him, one of the native indie developers of the New York scene. I've uh, been around for a very long time. Has some interesting games as well, and you may not have heard of him. So hopefully you will uh, enjoy hearing from David Gilbert. Also, I would like to say one of the reasons you may notice that I haven't been around for a little while. It's been a couple months since I've done a Gray Area episode, and they used to be out every week. So, uh, yeah, I do apologize for that, and I will get to uh, have a, a few episodes out uh, very soon. There's going to be kind of a, a two or three quick succession of episodes until I probably disappear again for another month or so. I recently got hired by Technical Illusions, who is Jerry Ellsworth and Rick Johnson's company. You may remember them because they were on a few episodes ago when we talked about Cast AR and her leaving Valve at that point. So for the last few months, I've been working for them as their media director and basically planning their Kickstarter campaign, which just went off. Uh, obviously, this is self-serving, so I'm going to talk about it, but you can uh, choose your own result on that and just ignore this and go right to the interview. Or if you're interested in me and just want to hear about what's going on, I'm going to tell you. So Cast AR, you may recall, is a 3D augmented reality interface. Uh, currently, it actually does augmented reality, true reality, and virtual reality, all three in one, which is really cool. And just playing it is super fun. Uh, as a tabletop gamer myself, and that you know, just regular games as well, but tabletop gamer. I really enjoy the fact that you can put your pieces down on this with an RFID grid and have your pieces have projected health bars above their head, projected AOE area. You can have it track the distance between your two minis on the board so you know if you're within the proper distance to shoot. You can actually have projections of the different spells that you're casting come out from individual characters. So, you know, I can actually see Xanatari do some really cool things with her lightning uh, attacks and things like that. Also, if you get, there's a certain, we call them premium bases, we call them, uh, on the RFIDs, you can actually have it with microprocessors trigger some cool effects like robotic effects like let's say you wanted to have um you know actual fog come out of a dragon you know figurine you could have it like with glowing red eyes and fog come out it is just the coolest thing ever um you know you can also use it for regular gaming obviously it's basically projection kind of like a holographic um you know holographic image basically like if you want to be in a holodeck or you want to play star wars 3d chess that kind of thing so I encourage you to check it out on Kickstarter. It's called Cast AR, C-A-S-T, capital A, capital R. We got funded in 53 hours, and uh, funding is continuing towards stretch goals. So I hope that uh, you'll check it out, because it's basically what I've been putting everything into the last few months, and I'm super excited about it. It's amazing. Uh, I hope you see the videos, because they're really hard to describe to you. Um, projected augmented reality is very difficult to describe. So I hope you check it out, and that's kind of why I have been away from the gray area, but as things calm down here in the next few months, Kickstarter's already funded and things get a little calmer, I'll be able to have some interviews for you. I have coming up uh, the interview with the creator of Octodad, 
That's kind of exciting. A lot of indie developers lately. I just kind of feel like I'm attached to the indie scene lately. Uh, I'm trying to talk to uh, somebody that I'm acquainted with on Facebook, which is Kevin Levine, so I can talk to him about Bioshock Infinite, a game I really love. So things I'm kind of putting in line for you, I have another uh, developer coming on named Phoenix, who I spoke to at New York Comic Con, and you will be seeing another episode come out probably next week from a panel that I uh, attended in New York Comic Con, where uh, the indie developers that were local to the New York scene kind of have a panel. I uh, found it really interesting, thought it'd be something you'd like to hear as well. So I'm going to put that up, and then I have an interview with one of the panelists coming up soon. So, new stuff from the gray area. You may have missed me. I hope you did. So uh, this is this is back, and we're going to talk to Dave Gilbert, president and owner, CCO, of uh, Wedget Eye Games. So here we go. All right, so you were founded in 2006, mm-hmm. the Wedget Eye. Uh, what is your news of the week this week? What's going right on? now, we just hit beta for a project we're working on. We are doing a remake of the Shiva, um, or rather my wife is doing a remake of the Shiva, and we just sent it out to beta testers two days ago. Oh, wow, so that's exciting. So I guess that would be our news, yeah. So do you have a projected release for that? Uh, Hanukkah. Oh, Seems nice. appropriate, yeah. Nice, okay. <laughs> So let's talk about how you got into games. What's your education as far as that, and did you play as a child? Yeah, I play, definitely played as a child, um, much to my parents' annoyance. I, <laughs> I think my first, the first game I ever played, of course I had the Atari when I was really young, but then I think my mom made the mistake of buying me uh, Wishbringer, the text game in the uh, mid to late 80s, I think. Okay, and is it similar to, like, um, I don't know if you've ever played Amazon or some of the old, like... PC ones where it is just completely like a mush almost. Well, it's a uh, not a mush, but it's a text adventure like Infocom. Okay. Like Zork. Oh yes, I love yeah. Zork. It's along those lines. Okay. So I it just I was completely just obsessed with it. I just I loved that game and uh, I just I, pl- I inhaled all the Infocom games. I loved those and eventually went on to the point and clicks and then years later I'm making them and, and here I am. <laughs> uh, education. I studied broadcasting at university. I went to BU. And I uh, worked for CNN for a bit. Didn't really enjoy working there. Um, had a few different careers, <laughs> you could say, and uh, ended up doing this. And it's the it's the one thing I've done that seems to have stuck. It's I've been doing it for seven years since 2006. Wow. Did you consider going into games journalism since you have kind of that combo of? I mean, not really. Uh, Maybe it would have been less stressful or more stressful. I don't know. <laughs> no, covering other people's stuff when you can make your own is never as yeah, good. Yeah, I know. Um, no, I never really thought of it. I mean, I wrote you know Amazon reviews and stuff back in the day, but I never really thought about getting into journalism myself. Were your parents very strict? You say that this was to your parents' displeasure. I mean, it's like paid. anything, you know, like you know, what's up with your grades? Why are you playing all these video games? Uh, that kind of thing. Okay. Typical, typical stuff. <laughs> Did you get into, uh, I have some people that have this happen, and myself included, like back in the 80s, it was a little, there was sort of misconception perhaps that some of the RPG games had some sort of like bad content as far as like Dungeons and Dragons, you got some of that, like, oh, you know, evil yeah. games. I mean, that's like the tabletop stuff. Yeah, yeah I never was, really was into that. Um, well, it's because I didn't know anyone else who was into that stuff when I was growing up. Okay. Um, it's funny, my, uh, one of my, um, like my girlfriend in high school 
was into D and D and brought me to some uh, to, to some games, and I'd never done it before, and it was it was kind of fun, but I never really got into it. It's a funny thing. My wife now is a big D and D player. She goes every Saturday, and it's sort of it really depends on the game. Yes. Uh, I, she's taken me to some where I, you know, they they spend a half hour trying to get a table out through a window. I'm not even kidding. It's like the angle, the how to push it, you yes. know, things like that. And I fell asleep. <laughs> it once took us two days to cross the field. Yeah, Those it can be can very happen. slow. Yes. Uh, but you play a game where it's like a one-off and they just keep it moving and you just go and it's, you can do whatever you want. You don't have to think about that. It's just, <laughs> that I love. It's so much fun. Well, for someone um, so story-oriented, story, story oriented, like you, you would think, you know, Dungeon Master, you'd probably be an excellent Dungeon Master. I, I don't know. I mean, it's like, can I, I like to to try it can I be as flexible like when I write stories I know I take my time and, and update it and constantly change it and things like that and could I be as flexible and make up stuff on the fly I, I like to I like to try it but I haven't played many games to really uh, to, uh, many t- tabletop games to really even consider giving it a try your first game, The Repossessor, in 2001. Oh, wow, you have done your research. Uh, yes. <laughs> what was the creation process like that? Because that was your first really big game. And yeah. how well was it received? <clears throat> well, it was... Uh, I got into doing that stuff because the towers went down. I was living here in New York at the oh, time. Wow. So I was I had been laid off from a horrible office job about a month or two before. And I was looking for something to keep my mind off things. And I found Adventure Game Studio. And there was this project called Reality on the Norm, which was kind of this shared universe. And making a game from scratch was kind of daunting, but I saw Reality on the Norm, which is a shared universe, this little town, anyone can make a game set in the town and could had to share all the art assets. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy to, to make a game. And I just thought, well, I could do this. And so I made The Repossessor in like a weekend and uploaded it and be like, hi, right, here's my game. You know, what do you think? And people seemed to like it, so I made more. It was this very short, little, silly thing. Uh, and I ended up making more of them. So, and now I'm doing it full-time, so... Um, is this the same thing as the GS Team Challenge, or is it a different... Uh, it's an informal contest, which you won, apparently. It's kind of like a game jam. Oh, the AGS... Is uh, AGS? AGS Team Challenge, okay. yeah. AGS Team Competition. That was... Um, it was in 2004, I think. Okay, so uh, later on. Yeah. That was uh, two of a kind. That was, um, I don't know if you want me to jump ahead or not. Um, but I do want you to talk about that. I guess I'm just trying trying to draw the line between do you do a lot of these game jams where you come in and do um, really quick games for a weekend? and then I don't. I probably should. It's just that I can barely have time. With, you know, we just had a baby about oh, four or five months ago. So Thank you. Um, and so it's hard enough making the time to work on my own projects yes. during the weekend I mean I, this is very middle aged of me but it's just like it's my weekend man, but I, I don't want to you know I just I'm one day I should because I, I see a lot of great games being made with that mm-hmm. and it'd be nice to just have, feed off that energy but um no I just never have but the AGS team challenge was like a two month long thing where teams were put together randomly and then you had like two months to make a game. I think maybe 10 teams were formed and only two others managed to finish a game, me and someone else. And that was kind of the first time I ever really worked in a team and was a team leader and felt like, hey, maybe this is something I can do. Um, so I owe that 
that competition a lot. You are really small, your wife, yourself, and then your dog, Cooper. So <laughs> how, you know, I guess, are you planning to stay that size? You're talking about working in a team and, well, and staying small like this? I, I mean, we work with freelancers, like I hire artists and oh, composers okay. and things like that. Neither my wife or I do any art. Um, really? But, yeah, we hire all the that. The are so art-driven. Oh, really? Thank you. Um, uh, yeah. beautiful. I really, I looked at Primordia the other day. Oh, well, that we published. Okay. So that's, that was... Uh, yeah, if you look at the games we did internally, like Blackwell or the original Shiva, mm -hmm. um, they're not so pretty. <laughs> okay, Blackwell's well loved, though. Oh, oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, Primordia, that is art drawing. I mean, that is, he was a brilliant artist, Victor Floyd. He was, that's why I wanted to take it on, because it was just so beautiful. Um, yeah, Resonance and even Gemini Rue to a degree, very art driven. Um, I'm, I'm focusing more on art now with the new Blackwell. Um, I'm really focusing more on atmosphere, which I which I've never done before, but um, we really, to answer your question, we do prefer being small. I like the flexibility of just being able to go to a cafe and and do whatever, you know, just to spend the day working on what I need to work on and not have to deal with many other people. Um, that's changing now. As things have gotten busier and bigger, I'm dealing with more press, which, which is good. Um, it's also like, People ask me to write articles for things, and I always say okay, and then the deadline <laughs> swoops by, and they all get pissed at me, and uh, I think there's this guy from Adventure Gamers named Igmar, uh, who is probably really annoyed at me, sorry if you're listening to this, because uh, he's asked me to write this article for like a year, I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll have it next week, and it never happens. Uh, I just, yeah, things like, so it's, like, things are busier, and, which is great, it's great, because we're bigger and we have more money coming in, but there's also a lot more responsibilities in terms of business stuff, which... I'm still haven't quite wrapped my head around, uh, but I, I prefer being small. I actually hired someone to handle the bulk of the common email questions we get. Um, sometimes I think growing your business just means hiring people to do the things you no longer want to do. Uh, so, but yeah, I like being small. Um, I've had people have offered to like partner up, like get uh, or even. VC funding or someone to bring in more money to do stuff, but I think about it and I just, I like being where we are. And really, if we can just maintain our living this way um, for the rest of our life, I'll be happy. So how did you form? Were you already in a relationship or did you meet before that and make the company? After. I started it myself. Okay. Um, I did the Shiva, the first Blackwell, and I met Janet at the Game Developer Conference that year in 2007 and we, she's from England and that summer I was visiting friends in the UK we arranged to meet up and headed off and uh, did the long distance thing for a while and then we got married and now we have a baby so <laughs> I guess it worked out yes I've worked at times with significant others in my life and it's a very strange great and bad thing at the same time like do you find it a good thing because you know, obviously you have commonalities and you work together, but at the other hand, you can never put it down because you're together 24-7. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is true. I mean, especially uh, up until recently, we lived in a one-room studio apartment, uh, and we worked out of that one-room studio apartment, but the way we both work, it's, we're very focused on what we do, so it's, even if I'm at home and she's at home, we're on opposite sides of the room, you know, I'm on my laptop, she's in her laptop, and at the end of the day, it's like, oh, so how was your day, dear? Like we, okay, so we, totally, you have your we, own isolated we, area. Yeah, I'm not, I, she tends to work more often at home because she uh, likes the desktop. I like the laptop so I can go to the cafes and yes. things. So um, I have, like, we keep our 
you know, distance that way, you know, because that's, that's important. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's also the respect that you are partners in everything. But yeah, you can never really put it down. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, you're still talking about it, and it's uh, what what you know what what can you do? I mean, it's really nice that we can we have this. We are basically building this business and family together, and it's it's very nice um, that it's something I've always dreamed about having a real partner, and uh, so yeah, um, I love it. But yeah, you're right. You, you never can put it down. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, all right, you know, like we go out for dinner. It's like, okay, can we not talk about, about work? work. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's like, all right, yeah. So I was working on the shiva today, and it, no. just, it just happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, it's it, working at the, ca- the cafe aspect is interesting. So it's almost like, do the things around you end up influencing how you write, depending where you go? And you know, I guess is New York any aspect in some of the things that you write? Um, well, uh, most of my internal games take place in New York, so definitely. Um, I just, I like being, I mean, now I'm in Brooklyn, which makes me sad, but it does make me sad. It does make you sad. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, people uh, say, oh, Brooklyn's not so bad, and I say, well, I used to live in the East Village. Like, oh, okay. Uh, nothing's the East Village, but um, yeah, we're in Park Slope now, like every other New Yorker who breeds. And, but it's, um, I mean, I, I love being in the center of all that life and energy and, um, and everywhere you go, there's something happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I love being in the center of all that. And New York especially, it's just the center of everything. I mean, anyone, you could live in some backwater town in some small country, you walk out of Grand Central Station and it's like you've been there before because it's so prevalent in media and yes. you know, television and film and, and everything. So it's, it's cool being in the middle of all that. So that definitely influences me, uh, drives me in, in many ways. <laughs> Um, but Do you ever I, like base the look of things or, or characters on people that you'll meet in these places, like just well, outfit-wise? It's or? no coincidence that most of the Blackwell locations are located within the 10 blocks of where I lived. <laughs> so I tend to put a lot of my life into them. And actually that's something I'm trying not to do with the next Blackwell game because someone, I don't know, have you played the Blackwell games? I saw them, but I didn't get to play. Right. Well, one... Uh, uh, a lot of one excuse me criticism of them is that they tend to be very middle class like a lot of offices and apartments and small businesses and okay. things like that so I decided to like get out of my comfort zone there and focus like now you got a lot of like derelict buildings and you know uh, darker side of darker you know like alleyways and old bars and, and things like that so does that mean you go to them then to write uh, sometimes. So there was this bar I used to go to all the time called the Mineta um, in the uh, in the East Village. And like it was it's research. Yeah. It's research. Well, it's uh, you can go to the Mineta in one of the games. Uh, and it was this old, you know, it's it's really old um, pub. And uh, very a lot of famous writers went there. And it was always empty, which was what I always loved about it. And uh, there was this painting of this old bohemian named Joe Gould, who um, kind of I took his story and put it into one of the games but now I think some famous restaurateur bought it renovated it now it's really trendy and you need like a three week reservation to get in (laughs) so I can't do that anymore Um, but yeah I do do like to go to the places that uh, or rather it's not so much I go to the places the the games are based on it's that I like to base the game locations on places that I've been Mm -hmm. just because it's familiar to me and I know how to how to write it makes sense why the name Wajra? Oh, well. Um, if I could go back in time and change one thing, 
Okay. It would be Wajda. You even asked me how to pronounce it earlier. Um, I just really was into Egyptian stuff when I was younger, and I saw the symbol of the Wajda, that thing. Yeah, like, isn't that is it Ra? Yeah, the Eye of Horus. Yeah. And I just thought it was a neat symbol. I just liked the way it looked. And I remember thinking, if I ever needed a logo for anything, mm-hmm. I would use that. And when I... the proper name. Hmm? I never knew the proper name yeah, of that. the Wajitai. And not... Yeah, I, I, it's so obscure that... Uh, <laughs> and so when I was looking... I was trying to come up with a name for the company because I wanted to make a website to promote Blackwell and I needed a name. I couldn't think of anything. I'm sitting there at the registration page like... I was thinking like... I had a, I originally thought of Iron Coffee as a name because I was in cafes a lot. But right. that was taken by someone else and I'm like, okay, I, like, there's so many game companies with coffee in them that I didn't want to do that. I'm like, well, I know I'm using the Wajidai as a symbol, so I'll just call it Wajidai. And then, bam, done. And, and uh, that was it. I honestly did not expect to be in business seven years later. I was kind of doing it as a way to avoid getting a real job. Okay. <laughs> and um, I did not expect it to take off the way it did. I'm glad. I'm happy it did. But people are like, how do you spell this? And uh, it's that's the one annoying thing. But... You know, at this point, I can't change it, so I'm stuck with it. Gotcha. Your games are extremely RPG, and I would call them maybe point-and-click RPGs. Why, uh, what influenced you to go that story route rather than combat-based you know, based games? It seems like that's really kind of what a lot of people play, and they don't have a chance to, to have so much story. Well, I love uh, the RPG format. Like, I'm, a, I'm still a big fan of Bioware. They've had a few misses, yeah. but Strange I know uh, I still have faith. Um... <laughs> I really I like I like the I like the last Mass Effect, but anyway. Um, <laughs> and three thousand fans rise up. <laughs> and then I lose. And then I no one ever buys one of my games again. Um, what was I saying? Uh, oh yeah. Well, I I grew up on those point and click games, mm-hmm. and I'm not really a programmer by nature. Um, I'm more of a designer story person. So it's sort of it just sort of the. The type of uh, game I fell into writing. I just find myself writing those types of games and I like doing it. I tend to write that way now. When I come up with a story, I always think of how is this, how can this be immersive? And I sometimes think of adding RPG elements. I've actually designed a few little prototypes of games that have more RPG elements in them, but they're just never fun. I can never really make them fun. So I just get rid of them. They're more frustrating than enjoyable, so I fall back on the uh, point-and-click genre because I can write very comfortably there, and I know how it works. Mm -hmm. So I know I could probably, I would love to do something more RPG-ish, and I have a few ideas, Um, but I know the first one I do is probably not going to work very well because... I've never made one before. But my wife, she's a big D&D player, so she, mm-hmm. could, she could probably, she would be the one to help me there. And we have a few ideas for things. One day, uh, we'll, we'll get around to doing it. Um, but not yet. But not yet. Do you know Khan Gao at all? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, your games kind of remind me of that. Well, we ways. sold uh, To the Moon for a while. Did you? Technically, we still do. Um, yeah, we still, yeah, it's still available on our website. We sold um, it on his behalf. And it's funny, I remember at the time thinking I was doing him a favor, but he does not need my help anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he does not need my help. He's a really just sweet guy. He just is. Really nice he guy. He really is. I've had him on the show before. We've talked. I've met him a few times at GDC, and uh, he brought Laura Shikihara. 
to, to, I had a Wadge Night party a few years ago, and I'm a big fan of her stuff, and I went all fanboy on her. Okay. Um, I was like, you know, it's my party, so I was the drunkest guy in the room. I totally freaked <laughs> them all out. Um, so sorry about that, guys. No, yeah, um, it's, it, what he's doing is amazing. Uh, How do you handle music? I know he kind of writes his stuff. You have... I don't write my own, for sure. I, I hire that out. And, um... How do you coordinate, though, like, all the graphics, the music, the words, and get it all to be kind of to your vision? No rhyme or reason, really. Um, I just kind of got to make a plan and stay on top of it. And it's easier said than done. I mean, with my own stuff, uh, it's easier when I'm publishing because I haven't written it myself, so I can um, sort of have that distance. Mm -hmm. Rather, when I am writing it myself... Uh, I can think, okay, yeah, it's all right that the artist isn't getting the art done because I'm I'm still working on other things. So I'll like, yeah, it gives me more time to polish what I have. So yeah, take your time. I don't do that when I'm publishing someone else's work because then it's like, you know, all right, let's get this done. Let's get this done. Like I'm kind of a taskmaster. Um, so it's just sort of keeping, um, uh, making a, a list of everything that's needed. Try to come up with a good time time scale for it all and. Stay on top of it is the only way to really, to really do it. Um, music, same thing. Music is difficult because I feel really bad for game composers uh, because sometimes it could just be one small thing that makes or breaks a song, mm-hmm. and you just don't know if it works or not until like the whole thing is finished. It's like asking someone to like finish a painting before you can tell them if it works or not, and I often it's it's really hard. Uh, so I feel really bad. They put so much work into. <laughs> Do you ever get to the end and you're just like, no? <laughs> Sometimes, oh well, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, this, this is too happy or this is too um, overbearing or. <laughs> I always have uh, to use like esoteric words. It's probably t- tough to be that. Well, it's uh, the thing about game feels. music, especially with voiceover and stuff, is that it has to be. You have to think of it. You have to think of it in the future, like it's going. Um, like there are other elements. There's sound and there's a voiceover and, and things like that. So it's got to. It can't Kim. But what I always, how I always describe it is it can't come in from above mm-hmm. and drive it. It's got to come in from below and support, uh, support it. it. Gotcha. So it's got to be, I think game music is a lot more subtle now. A lot of, if you listen to game soundtracks in the 90s, they're a lot more fun to listen to because mm. they had to drive it. They had to do so much work. In movies as well, I think. In movies as well, yeah. But now it's, you got like a lot of sound design and voiceover and, and everything that you can't, have it be that overpowering anymore. There was this wonderful um, experiment where someone added voice acting to Final Fantasy VII, mm. and it just did not work oh. because the the music was so yes. loud. Not loud, just very um, like having two people screaming at each other. To yeah, I can understand. Yeah, that. or even just something like um, something simple like Cloud and uh, what's her name, Eris, talking in the garden. Very mm. simple scene, but the music was just like. The music had to drive all of that. And if that was redone now, it would probably be done a lot more subtly. Yes. And a lot more... Yeah. Gotcha. I don't know if that answered your question no. at all. I kinda... No, it does. Okay. Um, do a lot of companies do publishing of other games as well as their own? I've, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I just sort of fell into it. The yeah. um, thing about adventure games is that they take a long time to make. Mm. And I didn't like being one flop away from going out of business. Okay. And I figured that the only way to really keep things going would be to have other games and publish other games. And 
I started off with Aaron Robinson's Puzzle Bots, which did, oh, it did fine. It's just that I ended up programming it myself because we couldn't find anyone to program it. And I realized that was dumb because I was spending just as much time on that as any of my other games and kind of paying for the privilege. Yeah. Uh, right. So that was kind of dumb. Um, but then uh, Gemini Roo just fell into my lap. And that did, obviously, everyone knows that one did really well. That's the game that really put us on the map. Uh, or rather, I said that's the game that kind of got us into the mainstream hardcore area. And I knew that that would never happen again, where a game that's like almost complete just is given to me on a silver platter. That would never happen again. So what uh, we decided to do was to look for games that had a lot of potential, but maybe needed a little bit of help okay. getting you take over them the finish line. Unfinished, and then you help yeah. find them. Or just they just don't want to like deal with any of the marketing and sales stuff afterward, or anything like that. Um, Resonance was like at the top of my list because I knew the developer had been working on that for about four or five years. So you really are collaborating just in a different way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my wife had just finished a project, so she basically became the full-time programmer on that game and we got it out a year after that. Primordia, same thing. Um, I think Primordia, I'm, I could be wrong, but uh, what they mostly needed was a taskmaster for someone to say, okay, you have to get this done by this day. Okay. And, I mean, because they, they all worked well, really well together. I mean, you had the writer. They, it was the only game I've ever worked on where there was like, it had a real team, each doing their own task. So it had a dedicated writer, dedicated artist, composer, and, and programmer, even. Wow. And um, I think they just sort of needed, usually when there's nothing at stake, it's very easy to let things go. But when I say, okay, this needs to be done by this day, and I'm kind of on top of it, um, it gets done. And sometimes that's all a project needs. And uh, that's what I give to Primordia. So, um, uh, as well as the voice acting and things like that. I, I handle all the voice acting and then all the sales and marketing afterward. I take care of that. Porting, like we ported Gemini Root iOS. Oh. We're porting it to Mac and Linux for uh, a humble bundle and, and things like that. So we will basically consider it one of our own by the end of it. So that's one thing we offer as publishers. I always say we can't pay you to make the game, but we can give you time. Well, and then you have your own reputation that drives it too. That so. too, that too, that helps. Shiva's the one that you know, I kind of knew about and felt like that was you know, more publicized maybe just because of the oh, rabbi like, aspect. That was, Which yeah. is like the first time a rabbi's ever appeared in a game, so I, I understand. I imagine, yeah. Or yeah. at least been the main character of a game. Yes. So, obviously, I believe you're Jewish as well, so that kind of makes sense that you might yeah. do that. What, how was that received? And I, and I guess, like, do people kind of focus on that fact? Is that something oh, you're known for? Oddly enough, it's probably our worst-selling game. Really? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it got a lot of press at the time, uh, and it got me a GDC Choice Award nomination, which was awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, but it didn't really... It didn't sustain me at all. It was my very first game, and it was very short, very cheap, and very... Um, I don't want to say ugly, but I made it in a month. Okay. And that's why we're remaking it now, because we, want to, we wanted to put it on the phone. And uh, so we just had a, a baby, as I think I told you. Yes. So we wanted, my wife wanted something short. Mm. Like, uh, it was our shortest and simplest game. So we're like, okay, we port the Shiva. We put it on the phone, and we couldn't, the characters and the graphics are so small, we couldn't do anything. It was impossible. Um, you know, you'd, you'd press it, and you'd, you'd click on three things. It was, well, not that bad, but it was, it was really, it was impossible. So she thought, well, why don't I just work on Blackwell instead? And 
black oil is more of an all or nothing kind of thing. We need to pour all of them, not just one of them. Oh, no so, sense. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like, well, you know, why don't we just remake the graphics? You know, there are not many of them. It's, not, it's a very short game. So I spoke to one of my core artists, Ben Chandler, and he agreed. He said, okay, let's do it. So we redid all the graphics for the Shiva. And so it's it's more in line with how the rest of our games look. Okay. And so the side benefit is we're re- we're doing the PC version as well. Steam is finally taking it. They wouldn't even look at it before. Yeah, that's a question I have. For uh, sure. Gog is taking it, and so it'll be. I think this time around it'll probably get the attention it. Uh, I wanted it to get seven years ago, uh, just because I got more chops now and mm-hmm. things like that. So um, it's sort of the game that. People tend to forget about, even though it's the kind of the game that got me started. No one really remembers it, so or they never really look at it, or they never really think about trying it, or whatever. Um, so I'm curious to see how the remake turns out. Yeah, it's such an unusual protagonist, I and mean, people tend to gravitate towards you know, something different like that. I hope it's successful for you. Thank you, Sabrina. George Lucas of your own life. <laughs> well, this, it. We it. totally win George Lucas on this. I mean, it's, it's a one-to-one remake. The gameplay is exactly the same, uh, all the, but all the graphics. And even the music is redone. The original composer found out I was redoing it. He's like, let me redo the music. So, I think he like, feels the same way right. everyone wants to update after time. Like, yeah. the second chance to do I'm it. Like, all right, yeah, if you go ahead. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's cool. So what are your feelings about Steam? Because it seems like, like you've said, you know, I see that certain games are accepted, certain games aren't, Project Greenlight compared to the Xbox store or other things. I understand like Project Greenlight has a lot of strict requirements in a long time period. What's what's your feelings well, about Steam? What's your relationship with I, that? I don't know if you knew this story. Um, a year ago, I mean, I had... Every game I send to Steam, uh, I have to go through some version of this dance where they reject it, and then I prove myself, and then they change their mind. Uh, puzzle bots, they like uh, Blackwell. They just reject it outright. They wouldn't take it. How do you prove yourself? What does well, that mean? with every game, okay. Puzzle bots, mm-hmm. sent to them. They rejected it. It got into the pack showcase, I think, in two thousand nine or two thousand ten, and then they took it. After so that. it legitimizes it if it's. Yeah. But isn't the point of Project Greenlight to support indie developers that aren't? Like, you think published? so, um, but then uh, there's more. Gemini Rue, they rejected, and then. Um, like even though it got to like number five on Metacritic, it was like got on it was on Rock Paper Shotgun and Kotaku and Giant Bomb. Everyone like hardcore audiences love Gemini. Rio. I had to hire a PR guy to go basically who could pitch it to them, and they took it. Oh. I think they didn't realize it was an IGF nominee, even though it was on the application like three times. So obviously they didn't read it, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to prove ourselves there. Blackwell they wouldn't take. It got onto the Indie Royale bundle. And that was when Simon Carlos was involved. So um, he, since all the other games on the bundle were on Steam, he interceded on my behalf. They, they put it on there. Uh, Resonance, they didn't take it. We got a lot of preview coverage, and then they changed their mind. So this is like five games that you had on Steam. Would they not look at you and go, oh, publisher Seven. that we um, The four Blackwells, Gemini Puzzlebots, Resonance, and then uh, Emerald City Confidential, if you count that one, even though that was not ours per se, uh, that was that we just developed that one. And uh, what else? There was a ninth one I don't remember. But um, and then with uh, Primordia last year, they said go to Greenlight. So that was surprising and kind of annoying. And we went on to Greenlight, and we got up to like the top 100 in a day. And we got up to like number 40 in about a week or two weeks. And that was really fast. 
which is unusual for a green light. Usually they, they're on there, people are on there for months and months and months. But I kind of rallied the fans and it kind of became a story. Um, how, uh, I think it was Zaboid of, uh, Robert Boyd of Zaboid, the, uh, Penny Arcade. Oh, yeah, yeah. On the Rain Slick, uh, those guys wrote about it. It's like apparently established developers have to go through Greenlight now. And of course, like, that got, you know, that went viral. And then uh, yes. Eurogamer wrote an article about it and quoted me extensively. And, um, my, my joke was that, you know, yeah, getting rejected is nothing new. Uh, so, and then they just said it, it went up the ranks on Greenlight so fast that they finally took it. Um, and then with uh, Shiva, ironically, here's the ironic, I don't know if this is ironic or not, the very first game I ever did, I finally, the remake of the very first game I ever did, I just sent, pitched it to them, they took it right away. Finally, after like nine or ten games on Steam, they finally take it sight unseen. It's just it's taken this long. You're um, now written in there with a yeah. and take games. I think, but to answer your question of what do I think of Greenlight, I think obviously it's um, flawed in that way. That established developer like myself, established developer who has many games on Steam, mm-hmm. has to go through Greenlight. Um, and it kind of, it's this backward thing where you kind of have to rally the fans and do a PR campaign get them to vote for you so they can buy the game for real when it goes on Steam. So it's this weird (laughs) kind of backwards-y thing. Um, I think it was better than when, you know, you would write them and they they wouldn't even look at your game at all. So in that respect, it's better. I think they're realizing now that with so many games, I mean, you get games that are like number 52, for example, for like months and months and months and doesn't budge. Because it's just hit, you know, it's only it's got only gotten so many votes, mm-hmm. and but that's still a lot of votes. It just shows that there's a lot of people willing to buy that game, right? And that's why they're they're taking so many now. Okay. They let like they accepted like a hundred games two months ago. I think last month they took like thirty. So they're letting a lot of games in, and uh, I'm hoping it doesn't become a big fish kind of situation where they just have a new game every day, yeah. where it just gets flooded. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But, um, Some standards, but not quite as strict, perhaps, as they're happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of those games aren't done yet, but still. Um, so I think it's a step in the right direction. Because Steam right now, I mean, the funny thing, what I always say about Steam is that um, it's getting to the point where people are not buying my games because they're on Steam. They're just buying, they just buy all of their games on Steam. It's yes. like, it's where they go to buy That's games. That's kind of what I do. It's yeah. like, if... If this game wasn't at GameStop, you wouldn't buy it because mm-hmm. that's where you buy games. Same thing with Steam. If your game's not there, people just well, won't buy it. Your website and they just they just won't buy it anywhere else. They just buy it on Steam. I'm guilty of that just as much as anyone. Uh, so that's sort of just the storefront. Um, what that means is is that you're now you're going to be competing with everybody else mm-hmm. if they just let in uh, more people. Uh, before, like you would get featured, you would get all sorts of things, and that would help you a lot. But so that'll change. But that'll it'll be interesting to see how things change as time goes on. Going to Blackwell. Okay. Seems you have a lot of fan art and a lot of people that are really um, you know, passionate about the game, other games mm-hmm. as well, and fanfic even. One, yeah, yes. we just got our first piece of fan fiction. So how, how that do you was feel about cool. that? What's that like? Um, I think it's really cool. I mean, I, I uh, Blackwell's been in my head for so long. I think I. 
I wrote like I wrote a short story uh, just about Joey. I think like in 2002 or 2003, and I, I wrote like a very uh, bad game starting the characters in like 2003, and I wrote the first Black Hole game in 2006. So these characters have been in my head for so damn long, mm-hmm. and uh, that's, so it's kind of being it kind of feels weird to be finishing it at this point. Um, but yeah, it's I've always loved ghost stories, and I just. I kind of learned with each game that I've done. Like, I look back at the first Black Hole game, all I can see are all the mistakes I made. And I see that with every game I've done. I just see not so much what I learned, but what I did wrong. And, um, like, this this next game I'm doing, it's going to be the best one until I work on the game after that. Um, so, yeah, it's... Um, it's very gratifying that the fans are so hardcore. It's funny that a Blackwell isn't our biggest seller. Uh, it brings us the most money because we get majority of the pot. With all the games we published, we give a, um, you know a big chunk of it to the developers. Obviously, Blackwell is is mostly uh, is you know like ninety percent ours. People probably so, want to play the whole series too. Like they yeah. want, oh, I need to know, and then they'll play. Yeah, and we bundle them up too, so that it's pretty cheap for people to buy the whole series now. Um, but uh, it's, it's very gratifying knowing people love them. I love getting the fan art. I love just getting hearing people saying like it. They just love the characters, or Bruce is very relatable, or they like Joey, or you know they just are obsessed with Abe Goldfarb's voice or whatever. Um, it's very gratifying. I mean, Abe even tells me himself that he just uh, when he comes in to do Joey, he's like, yeah, it's like putting on a jacket. He just he just loves doing it. Uh, so I'm gonna miss working on it, but um, it's time. It's it is definitely time. Can you say anything about the game that you're betaing right now? Sure. Um, uh, the Black Hole game or the Shiva? Um, you said you had a beta two days ago. Was, oh, that, was that Shiva? That was Shiva. Okay, okay. So you kind of talked about Shiva. Yeah. Okay. Why, um, like how does the beta work? Do you have just a small group and then you're going to go to like the second and third or is it just one? Yeah, we just, well, Shiva's small, so we just have one big group in there testing it out. Usually what I do is I start with a small group. I do like a cattle call saying, anyone interested in testing? Mm-hmm. And I get like a lot of responses and I take maybe 20 or 30 at a time. Because uh, usually, inevitably, you get the people who just want to see it. Right. So they they play it, never give a response. Or you get the people who only, you know, give one beta report and never give another one. Um, and then maybe you get like the one or two who are actually really, really diligent and play it more than once. Because these are all volunteers. So you, I can't really point fingers and say, these people are bad. They're volunteers. So they work for free. I can't really, you know, so this is, this is just how it's done. Are you looking for content feedback or just like actual, like, does this work on the iOS? Is there a bug here? Like, that Both. kind of thing? Both. Okay. Um, I mean, you get the more, like, really hardcore testers who will notice every single typo. Like, yeah, the character's, like, one pixel to the left, you know, things like that. But they won't notice, like, you know, an entire, uh, like, that scene is missing or something uh. like that. Um, but then you get, like, the people who just play it very casually, they'll notice the, the bigger, more obvious things. Mm-hmm. That, uh, a lot of those different ones. <laughs> yeah, so it's important to get a variety of, of testers. Do you have anything else that you would like to say to the listeners before we close? Um, anything to say? I guess just thank you. Like I said earlier, I did not expect to be in business this long. <laughs> and it's usually, I mean, I know I've only been on Steam the last couple of years, but if you've been a fan of ours and playing our games from before that or from the beginning, you're what got us here. So thank you, I guess is all I can say. I mean, we uh, are just very happy to still be able to do this uh, after all this time. And I hope to continue doing it, you know, for another seven years. And where can people find you if they want to get your games? Or Wadget.igames.com. And that's Wadget, 
Wadget with a J. W-A-D-J-E-T-E-Y-E games.com. Do you have Twitter or anything like that? Yes. Wadget Eye Games. There we go. <laughs> and Facebook. Wadget Eye Games on Facebook. Okay. Well, thank you very much. It was thank great. Thank you very much. And that concludes our episode. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions on what you'd like to hear, the next developer perhaps that should be on, to Gray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week or whenever this comes out with a new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?